The difference between other countries and ours is that our documents don't give us any rights. Our document simply tells government when they're infringing on them. Are you freaking kidding me? Oye chico, get kidding me, get kidding me. As Americans, we need to stop being so dependent in government. Government is not the solution. Government is actually the problem. Enough is enough. It's time to put America first. Welcome everyone. Bienvenidos to another podcast for the Hispanics Lead Right, presented by the Republican National Hispanic Assembly of Florida. Welcome everybody. This is another episode of Hispanics Lead Right. On this special episode today, um, we have a special co-host, Lucia Scaramacchia. Lucia, how are you today? I am doing fabulous. Although we are still in unofficial quarantine, the Cuban coffee is still strong here in Miami. So I'm happy. Wow, I can tell you I'm in Central Florida and if I had Cuban <laughs> coffee, my insomnia would be so much worse than it is right now. So I don't know how you're doing this. <laughs> Me neither. Pero café bucelo. That's it. So, um, how is uh, how, how are you doing in Miami? Because I know Miami right now is uh, between Miami Dade and Broward County. That's kind of like Florida's epicenter. Yeah. So, I'm not allowed to leave the house. I can only leave if um, I need to walk my dog to the park or I need to run errands. My father is being very anal about everything. Um, very afraid. He has two businesses downtown. So he is the only one that um, goes to work. So the numbers are not high in our zip codes per se, but um, there's just a bunch of tension in the air um, in Miami and also in Broward, I'm sure. But as for now, we are doing good. We are following the guidelines as, as much as we can, really. How are you guys doing up there? Well, Central Florida is uh, holding up. Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're, me specifically, I'm keeping an eye out, making sure that our liberties don't continue to get trampled on. I know there's a huge controversy about these stay-at-home orders and if it's, you know, we should be getting rid of some of our, our rights in the, in the, I guess, an argument of, of the, uh, the general public or the plurality of things um, but you know our rights just don't get put on pause because of an epidemic or a pandemic or whatever right. you want to call it um, do I think we should stay home this is coming from a guy that's been locked up in his house for 19 days straight yes I think we should stay home do I think that things need to be forced upon us you know, I might get a lot of listeners that are not going to like what I'm about to say, but you know what? Um, we should not be forced or told by government, hey, you're on timeout, you need to stay home. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, we don't get to get put in house arrest without any type of due process. So um, that's just my two cents. You know, that being said, yes, yeah. I do have some family in New York that uh, uh, unfortunately are in critical condition. Um and, uh, you know, we kind of uh, isolated ourselves, quarantined ourselves, 
because we were in contact with a couple of people that had confirmed cases of COVID-19, uh, people that were here from another country, and, you know, we quarantined ourselves. We went through all the procedures. We stayed home. We didn't get in contact with anybody. Uh, if we needed to buy groceries, we kind of ordered them through the public Instacart, which we found out is a good way to keep us lazy. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. First of all, I, I love Instacart. I had to just say that. Um, and I think you brought up a fair point that we're asking ourselves, is this constitutional? What is happening? Does the government have a valid reason or does the state government have a valid reason to be implementing these curfews and um, these laws? And definitely for me, I think, well... I know how to take care of myself better than the government. I do not need the government telling me, hey, you should stay in, hey, you should wash your hands, and implementing all these laws. I would hope that the American people were smart enough to make the decision on their own. Um, and so, although they don't call it a quarantine, we all know this is an unofficial quarantine. They say they are, you know, the CDC uh, recommendations are just recommendations, but let's be real. Everyone is following them. Um, and this does feel forced upon. So that is my two cents on it as well. I'm not saying we should all go back and go to work and live life the same. Um, but what I am saying is that we need some answers and we need some timelines because the longer we stay in, the longer people are losing their jobs. If they lose their jobs, they have nothing to eat. They have nowhere to live and the suicide rate goes up. And that is just reality. Um, so we need some and answers. And yeah, it's not only a suicide rate. I've also seen an uptake of child abuse, child hunger. So th there's a lot of, look, we, we all understand there's silver linings behind everything that's happening. You know, we get to spend more time with our family. Uh, some people have spoken to their husbands or their wives for the first time in a long time. I heard somebody say a joke. Hey, the other day I saw a lady in my kitchen. I spoke to her. Her name is your wife, and I kind of, I kind of dig her, and I, I was like, it was the funniest thing in the world. But, you know, at the end of the day, we also have to see, you know, the, the underlying issues as well uh, with, with some of the stuff that's happening. So the good thing is that today, Lucio, we have a special guest. We have Senator Marco Rubio, uh, who is a U.S. senator here in the state of Florida, who will be on, and he's going to ask us a, a couple of questions. And, Lucia, I hear you have a a very specific question at the end for him as well. Can you give us a preview or do you want to hold off to the end? Preview is election year 2024. Okay, wow. That's all I'm giving the audience. Hmm. It can be governor, so I'm assuming you're going to ask if he's going to run for something else. Okay, we'll leave it for the audience. I'm not going to give anything else. So, folks, uh, again, my name is Santiago Avila Jr. I'm going to be your co-host for the following segment. And I'm Lucia Saramacca, and I will be your co-host as well. So please stay tuned from a message from our sponsors. Parada Mortgage, 800-731-3024. We believe that there is a mortgage program for everyone. And so we finance and guide our clients. 
As a veteran-owned business, we give back to our veterans. Let us finance you and make your American dream come true. Apply online at paradamortgage.us. Welcome, everybody. My name is Santiago Avila. I'm your co-host. And I'm Lucia Scaramacchia, and I am also your co-host. Lucia, I'm really excited. We have Senator Marco Rubio here today. Senator, how are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Good, good, good. Senator, I know right now we're going through some crazy times in our country. And um, given the situation we're in with this virus, why has more emphasis been given to COVID-19 versus, let's say, like the flu that has had a higher mortality rate and a higher infection? Um, and that's basically one of the questions that we've been getting a lot. Well, I think the first point is you can see the global headlines every single day that, that answer that question. Yeah, the, 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 the flu is, uh, is something that we get every single year. It's, uh, the flu has been goes on for months. It's seasonal in nature. With the flu, we have effective an effective vaccine in most years and even those that aren't 100 percent effective diminish its impact and with the flu uh, we have effective antivirals that uh, if you can catch it within the first couple of days significantly diminish the symptoms we have none of those things with COVID-19 it's it's a novel virus for which there still is no effective and established antiviral treatment for which we know a significant percentage of the patients wind up not just in intensive care, but often requiring ventilation and life support, and, uh, and which is very highly contagious. So we know very little about it. Understand that the first confirmed case of this virus was on the 1st of December, and in less than four months, it's gripped in half the world, more than half the world. So there are some significant differences in regards to that. Oh, wow. Um... Senator, we know that uh, families will be receiving a stimulus check. So can you uh, expand on who is eligible and what is being done for small businesses? Well, on the family side, any family, any individual that makes $75,000 or less and any married couple filing jointly making $150,000 or less jointly will be eligible for the full $1,200 uh, check that will get either in the mail or through electronic deposit, depending on how they pay their taxes. In addition to that, those who fall in that category will also receive $500 per child under 17 uh, to sort of mimic the child tax credit. Um, after, once you get over 170 to 150 jointly or 75000 individually, it begins to phase out. So they'll still get something, but the $1,200 the $1, uh, begins to diminish um, based on the amount of their income. So, um, so that that's the that's the way that program works. With small business, the program is designed to uh, to provide businesses 250% of their monthly payroll, and if they use that to pay their employees, whether hire the ones they let go or keep on the ones that they have, uh, they won't. And they use it for that purpose that they will not have to pay it back. It becomes a grant. Awesome, perfect. So for those of you listening, uh, you have that answer. 
And uh, we'll also add like a link uh, from Senator Rubio's office that uh, they have provided to us where you can get more of that information online. Uh, Senator, <clears throat> do you think uh, things will go back to normal after COVID-19 hits the curve or do you think we'll still have some social distancing policies left in place? Yeah, so I don't think we can expect that this is going to be like one day to the next. We just go back to the way things were. Uh, even as restrictions will have to be lifted at some point, I still think that you're going to see things that we've seen now, you know, limits on large uh, groups of people. You're going to see the six feet markers on the ground at the supermarket and the grocery stores. You're going to see some of the measures being taken for protective purposes for some time to come. Uh, we're watching closely now what happens in Asia as those countries are, you know, dealing with as they start to try to lift their restrictions and try to prevent a second wave. But I think the key to this is, you know, understand we are buying time until we've developed first an antiviral and then ultimately a vaccine. So between now and the time we have a vaccine, COVID-19 will remain a threat. And so the question is, how do you deal with that threat and go on about life? Because you can't just shut down the world forever until you get a virus. And the answer is a combination of things. Number one is you want to be able to test people quickly, uh, identify who's sick, isolate them, and then do uh, contact uh, tracing and, and all the people that come in contact with and, and isolate them as well. That, that, that's the first thing. And that depends on the availability of rapid testing that could be quickly deployed in the case of a confirmed, ca- uh, of, of a confirmed case of this. The second is um, you want to build up hospital capacity. You want to make sure our hospitals have enough ventilators and beds to handle any outbreak in the future. And the third is the development of an antiviral course of treatment. Because once the antiviral is in place, a lot of these cases uh, can go from being ICU cases to regular hospital cases. And regular hospital cases become, you know, stay at home and treat at their cases. So that, that to me are the three things we should be working on now because... You know, whatever mistakes people think have been made in the past in terms of not getting on this quicker, it would be inexcusable to have a second wave because we're not taking steps now to prevent it. Exactly. That's a fair point, Senator. Um, Also, what can the U.S. do to put a stop to some of these wet markets in places like China, Vietnam, and India, just to name a few? Well, you know, ultimately, we would hope those countries figure out and can see the disaster that this has created, if that's, in fact, where this originated from. I think that's still an open question about whether it originated in that market or or in some other. I'm not saying any conspiracy theory. I'm saying it's not definitively linked to the market, although we know that the first case, the first confirmed case of it is someone who had limited contact with those markets. But we'll, we'll, we'll learn more about that in the future. I think the bigger question is, you know, what do we do moving forward? The world is now interconnected. You know, the Spanish flu of the early 1900s, that was before there was airplane travel and people you know, being able to go across continents. That was spread by soldiers returning from war, and it killed about 10% of the world's population. If not more, it killed more people than World War One and World War Two combined. That's how deadly that was. Now imagine in a world where people are less than 15 or 16 hours from travel anywhere on this planet, and people travel constantly. Not to mention a country like ours that constantly has people coming here for business to visit and our people traveling around the world as well. So this is an ongoing threat where no no matter where something like this breaks out, we're only a few weeks away from it reaching here. And, and that's going to that's going to be the case forever. So we, we've got to really create a system to respond to that and to be alert to it much sooner, much faster, much more efficiently. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, and to get to your point, Senator Rubio. Um, I remember back when uh, then-President Bill Clinton uh, was in office, um, 
you know, they got rid of a particular uh, incentive that has created a huge hole in Puerto Rico. I, I know myself and a couple other members from the Republican National Hispanic Assembly of Florida visited the island of Puerto Rico where there used to be a huge uh, medical, uh, uh, used to be a whole uh, medical place where people were developing uh, different items, even medicine for the mainland. And that all kind of shipped away outside of, of Puerto Rico and into places like China because that incentive was taken uh, was taken away by uh, then Pre- President uh, Clinton. Is there anything we can do, or I know you proposed or introduced a bill, but specifically to help maybe the island of Puerto Rico, because that would actually help them uh, with the financial crisis that they're going through. And who knows, maybe try to get an exemption from them from the Jones Act as well. So one of the things that's definitely going to be an issue after this is our supply chain. And, and our ability to produce uh, cost-effectively uh, our own supplies for pandemics, but, but just for the normal course of our economy. And I think it's hard for Americans living in the most prosperous and advanced economy in the history of mankind to be having to sew their own masks because our doctors can't find enough in the market. So there's no doubt that there's a place there to do two things at once, you know, develop our, our own capacity at the same time as help Puerto Rico in its economic recovery. And by the way, they're going through this crisis as well with the virus. Uh, and our fellow Americans, they need our assistance in that regard. But in addition to that is the reality that, um, that we still have a problem in the pharmaceutical field. And that is, yes, we, we can move pharmaceuticals back to assembly in, in Puerto Rico. But the ingredients that go into that medicine are still developed abroad in places like China and India. And anytime there's a disruption like this, those, those ingredients become rare and hard to get you can't put the medicines together so we really need to delve down to the basic ingredients active ingredients in these medicines how do we make them or how could we make them in case of emergency and do we have enough on stockpile in case of emergency is, is definitely something we need to look at as well and i think that could be part of what puerto rico does as well okay <clears throat> what about getting them an exemption hopefully for something like the jones act that actually hurts them a lot as well well, I mean, the, the, the Jones Act obviously is something that there are people that benefit from it and are hurt by it. The Jones Act is ultimately the reason why it exists is to protect the shipbuilding industry, the ability to actually make ships in the United States and not lose that industry as well. But there are other exemptions in addition to the Jones Act that are hurting Puerto Rico, whether it's the tax treatment of that activity. I mean, the reason why companies wanted to locate there is because they had a tax benefit from it. And I think this is an opportunity to do two things at once, help the ability to make things in this country and at the same time help Puerto Rico. Those are good jobs that come with those businesses. And those good jobs fuel real estate, the real estate, the service sector. I mean, Puerto Rico needs that economic activity and our country needs that productive capacity. So we, we should explore everything that would allow that to come back and, and even grow beyond what it used to be. Exactly. <clears throat> Another question before uh, Lucia asks you her question. I saw that you introduced uh, today uh, or you, you sent a request to ask the Department of Treasury to make a, I guess, a formal request for the money for the PPP today. Is that correct? Yeah. So what we've seen already is as of last night, about $50 billion had already been committed of the $350 billion. So if it continues on this pace as the program continues to improve, uh, in its implementation, you're going to have more utilization. We, we will run out of money sooner than we thought. 
And so that's creating a little bit of desperation in the small business community where people are worried that before I can even apply, the money's going to have to run out. So, so we, we need to get that in. And, and obviously, we can't reconvene Congress to do it. So, so the goal here is to have them make that formal request. I hope they're going to be on the high side of that, meaning I'd rather them ask that they need 200, they should ask for 225 just in case. And then if that money isn't spent, then it just reverts back to the, you know, it doesn't become debt. And we have to worry about that. But, but let's err on that side so that we don't have to come back and keep doing this. So hopefully that'll happen today. Hopefully Secretary Mnuchin will make that request. And then I hope we can get some cooperation to get it done on Thursday. Okay. Well, Senator, you know we have to ask you this question. Do you have any plans to run for president in 2024 or possibly for Florida governor in 2022? Oh, gosh. You know, honestly, I know everybody gives you the same standard answer. Look, I love public service. I'm not sure it's what I want to do the rest of my life. Um, and, and I, you know, what I've learned over the last couple of years, especially after running for president, is you sort of have to live and what's in front of you and and you know and if you do a good job with what's in front of you you'll have opportunities to do things in the future but sometimes we spend so much time thinking about what's going to happen two years from now that we lose focus on what's going to happen two days from now or two weeks from now so the answer to your question is look i i have an interest in public service and if an opportunity presents itself to serve in a different capacity um or continue serving in the senate uh something i'll be open to but i also don't know what my life's going to look like in a year or two yeah, it's not entirely up to me. And I think we've all, if anything, what's happened here with this virus should humble us. You know, there were, you know, my daughter's a senior in high school this year. And, um, you know, every year when you have a senior, they have a prom, they have a graduation, they have a senior trip. And she may not have any of that this year. And no matter how much we plan for it, things happen outside of our control. That So mm-hmm. I think that's the way we really need to sort of think about things. And, and, and I hope as we come out of this, one of the things that we as a people uh, will come out with is a greater appreciation for the little things in life that we take for granted that, uh, that and the blessings that we have. And, and, and for me, it's the realization that you know, I don't know where I'm going to be two or three years from now. None of us, I don't know what the world's going to look like, the country's going to look like, or my own life is going to look like. And so I think it would be presumptuous of me to sort of be making big plans like that when we're in the midst of something like this. But um, so we'll see how it plays out. And, you know, I don't intend to be in politics until I'm 80 years old and, and there are other things i'd like to do in my life as well so we'll we'll see what what god places in our in our direction senator are there any final words you'd like to give our listeners and also where can they find you uh social media twitter facebook yeah i'm on on uh on twitter it's at marco rubio on uh i got a twitter handle back in 2008 before anybody else was on so i was able to get my name on, uh, on on Instagram, it's Marco Rubio FLA, and uh, and um, and obviously, you know, we we are constantly on there and sending that as a form of communicating with people. And my final word is, we're going to win. We will win this. You can already see the impact it's having. Obviously, we don't want to celebrate too early here, but you can already see that as people are doing their part, um, we are beating the models in terms of what people were projecting we would have right now. And that doesn't mean that there's still a significant amount of suffering out there. But, but when Americans put their head to something and act, um, we get things done, and we will win this battle. But it will be a long battle. It will be a war of many battles, and every single one of us is being called to play a role in it. Whether you're a doctor on the front lines or someone who's deciding, I'm going to stay home and I'm not going to get infected and I'm not going to infect people, we are all have a role to play. And if we do it, 
this is this is not going to be short and isn't going to be easy, but it'll be shorter and easier than if we don't do it. Senator Rubio, <clears throat> we'd like to thank you for coming on our show. And, um, you know, you're such a busy man. Everybody wants to sit down and talk to you. You're known as Florida's favorite senator. And I'm not saying that to kiss up to you. Um, but thank you for taking the time to speak to We The People. We, we really do appreciate it. And uh, folks, uh, that was Senator Marco Rubio with us on Hispanic City Rights, a presentation of the RNHA of Florida.